Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that on this beautiful first day of the week we can gather in this warm place. Warmth, Lord, not because of furnaces that work, but also because Thy Spirit is here. Thy children are here. And together we have gathered to sit at Thy feet for learning. And we pray, Lord, that Thy Spirit might speak to us, might speak through us, that we might truly strive to edify one another and to lift the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ high so all can see it. Lord, be with those that can't be with us. We're mindful of Sister Hilda, the Mueller's, Aunt Laney, others that may escape me at this time. Lord, bless them in their quiet places. We pray, Lord, that they might also feel if they are able to partake in this, in this service via technology, that they might also feel that they are part of this place. Lord, be wherever truth is taught in this day and bless those that will be hearing it. Lord, we're also mindful of those that have traveled away to serve thee in other places. We pray that they might have safe travels back home. And now, Lord, speak to us out of thy word. Give us, Lord, whatever we have need of, and we will thank thee for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The Lord has led me to Ephesians chapter 6. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to begin reading with verse 10. And while you find that, I'd like to just give you some specifics about Ephesus. So Ephesus was a city of about a half a million people. Interestingly enough, Onondaga County is just under a half a million people. So I see there's a similarity there. Ephesus was a place that had some extreme worldliness in it, similar to our region. Ephesus was a place with many thoughts, many things that could have tempted the believers, many opportunities to, to go astray, and I won't go into some of the details of that. You can look it up if you really want to know. The Apostle Paul spent two years and nine months in Ephesus. Timothy, a young man that we have the letters that Paul wrote to him, was the elder in the church of Ephesus. But interestingly enough, the Apostle John spent 14 years living in Ephesus. So there was this wonderful, um, wonderful presence, I'm going to call it that, of this quiet disciple and apostle who knew the Lord intimately and who was also the only disciple to not be martyred. The Apostle Paul died of natural causes. The Apostle John died of natural causes at a very old age after receiving the revelation. So Ephesus is an interesting place. I think very similar, perhaps, to the world we live in today. So let's begin reading with verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, 
wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that the utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, but that ye also may know my affairs and how I do and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister of the Lord, shall make known to you all things. Whom I, sent, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that ye might comfort, that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Through verse 24. Dear ones, this, this scripture was revealed to me this week in a, in a devotional that I had, and, and it really spoke to me about where we are. This is my first opportunity to be sharing the word with you of this new year. And I wrote some thoughts down. What lies ahead of us? Some questions, rather. What lies ahead of us in 2024? What is God calling you to accomplish in this coming year? How is God asking you to grow spiritually in this coming year? What opportunities does God have for you in the coming year? What opportunities does he have for the church, our congregation, in the coming year? Who will the Lord bring into our church family in this coming year? Who may the Lord call home in this coming year? Those are the thoughts that just came to me as I, as I pondered this. And, and I, and I want to share with you something that, that I wrote about for, for my job some weeks back. And Michelangelo actually said this. He said, every block of stone has a statue or a masterpiece inside it. And it is the task of the sculpture or the master to reveal it. Every block of stone is a statue, a masterpiece, waiting to be revealed by the master. And as I, as I pondered on that quote that I heard, and I, won't, I don't need to go into where I heard it, I heard it during the, the Christmas season, all of a sudden my mind went to something that I see happening every day when I drive to work. Every day when I drive to work, I, I go to Nedru, I get on 81, and I take the 481 exit off 81 North, and for months they have been taking giant stones and concrete that was laying next to the side of the, you know, they're, they're reconstructing 81, and they're chopping it into small pieces and using it for roadbed. Not day and night, but every day that I drive by, rain or shine, they're chopping up this stone. That's one use of stone, roadbeds. 
And as I thought about this quote, I also thought about other uses for stones. So, so moving from the, the roadbed stone to landscaping stone. It takes a stone cutter to cut stone properly so that it can fit in a retaining wall. Or perhaps even a bit more ornate, fitting that stone and shaping that stone to be a decorative piece of perhaps a backsplash or a fireplace, a hearth, another use for a stone. But none of them compare to the masterpieces of a sculptor like Michelangelo who made that statement. So, dear ones, as, as we think about our lives, what's going to happen to our lives in 2024? Will we become roadbed? It's used for a stone. It's a good thing that there's stone there. You know, as I was sitting in the minister's office, um, I noticed that the county plow came in and he turns around and he goes back out. And whenever I see him do that, I just get kind of annoyed only because there isn't stone in the roadbed out here. That's not a roadbed, it's a parking lot. And when these giant dump trucks filled with salt come in, they're breaking apart our driveway. Now, I know they're just turning around and they should be able to do that, but this wasn't built for that. So roadbed stone has a purpose. It's so that it does, the road doesn't crumble under the weight of traffic, but it still is just fill. The stone that's used in a beautiful hearth or a backsplash or a decorative retaining wall has beauty, has a purpose, holds back the dirt or protects whatever, you know, I have some fake stone in my living room behind my fireplace. It, it still protects the wall from heat. But neither of those can compare to the work of the master. None of those can compare to the work of Michelangelo that has one purpose, to glorify the sculptor to help us to think about, to help people think of different things. For centuries, people have looked at Michelangelo's work and marveled. So the Lord was asking me earlier in this year, what's your life going to be like? Is it going to be roadbed? Is it going to be a retaining wall? Or are you going to truly allow the master to shape your life, to create for himself a masterpiece of your life? It's our choice. Now, as I thought about this a little more, I started thinking about what it feels like to be that chunk of stone when the sculptor takes out the chisel and the mallet and chips away, breaks it apart, takes just the right amounts off, but leaves just the right amount. And, and I... I, I made a note for myself, and I and I it, it it's kind of an interesting thing. Like when people change, so there's three things that need to happen in a person's life for them to change, and and I'm not referring to anyone but myself. People only change when they hurt enough that they have to. That's number one. 
They only change when they learn enough that they want to. And lastly, they receive enough that they're able to. They hurt enough that they want to. They learn enough that, they're, that, they're, that they want to. They hurt enough that they have to. They learn enough that they want to. And they receive enough that they're able to. Hmm. That's scary. If I, if I want my life to be the masterpiece that the Lord can create, it's going to come with some pain. But he supplies everything that is necessary for that masterpiece to be created. And, and I'm, I'm listening to a book. Frida read a book. It's, I guess she finished it last night, and she, she kind of knows that I'm more a listener than a, than a reader. My, my eyes have a really bad astigmatism, and sometimes it's really hard for me to, to read. One time she was sitting, and I was reading in bed, and I'm, I'm moving my head. And she goes, don't move your head, just move your eyes. And, and I said, I can't. And then she held my head. And, and I still, you know, for some reason, my eyes do not traverse a page like they should. But this book that, that she, I was intrigued by, and, and believe it or not, it's a free audio version of it, and I was listening to it. And last night when I was doing some chores, yesterday afternoon, I'm listening to it, and it, there was an account of people living through the Six-Day War in Israel. And it's a, it's a fictional, historical fiction kind of book. And, and, and these two women are talking, and both of their husbands had been called up by the Israeli army, Israeli defense forces. And they were in the Golan Heights. And the Six-Day War occurred because the UN pulled peacekeepers out. And these people, these two women, are sitting there with young children old enough to remember entire groups of Jews that had been wiped out. And they wondered, is this the time when we're going to be wiped out? Yes, there will be historical record of us being here, but will that, is that what our lives will be? And we know the story that just before the Six-Day War ended, the IDF decided that they were going to go into the Golan Heights. They're fighting uphill. And we also know the end of that story, that even that these, these women's, young women's faith was challenged, and God delivered. And in six days, Israel had more land than it did before, but there was pain, there was sorrow, there was death. Now, thankfully, their, their husbands in this historical fiction were fine. But can you imagine what Israel would be like today without the victories of the Six-Day War? The old city of Jerusalem was captured during that war. There would be no visit to the Temple Mount. They had to go through something that was frightening, something that was really tearing at their souls. They were at the risk of losing family members. And yet, in, throughout that, God brought about a miracle, miracle after miracle, for Israel. And as I'm thinking on this, I'm thinking, so what is 2024 going to be for me? I don't know. What's it going to be for us? There are so many things on the horizon that are frightening. There are so many things on the horizon that are uncertain. 
But I'll never forget, and you've heard me say it before, in the, one of my, one, a, a movie that I love, a historical movie that I love, is The Ten Commandments. And I love the part where Ramses, and I know it's fiction, but it's based on scripture and based on history. I love the part where Ramses goes back to the palace in Egypt. And he turns to his wife and referring to Moses, he said, his God is God. End of discussion, dear ones. Our God is God. He was, he is, and he always will be. And Paul understood that in this scripture that he's writing to our brethren in Ephesus. Verse 10, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. As we approach 2024, we we need to realize that the strength that we have does not come from us. Paul didn't say be strong and stand firm. He said, be strong in the power of his might. Our strength, dear ones, my brother and sister, comes from our relationship with him. We borrow his strength and his strength is unlimited. Absolutely unlimited. There is nothing in this world, out of this world, that can prevail against the power of God. We can take the ver- th- that phrase out of that Cecil B. DeMille movie of the 50s, and we can say, our God is God. And every knee, and every, every knee needs to bow before Jesus, our Savior. So let's just remember, let's put that on. Let's, let's, let's be empowered by him. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And there's this action that Paul is calling for, to put it on. But notice what he said. He doesn't say put on your armor. He says put on the whole armor, the entire armor of God. Not your own. Anything that we have, set it aside. It's useless. Remember what happened when David went out to fight Goliath? He was given Saul's armor and he couldn't wear it. It was too heavy. So what does David go out to face Goliath with? A slingshot and a bag with some stones in it. That's it. Why? Because he was putting on the armor of God. And then he says in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Does that not sound like our world today? There is spiritual wickedness in high places. I'm not saying every leader in the world is wicked or evil. I'm not saying that. But I am saying there is spiritual wickedness in high places. The scriptures say it. I was on our our flight back from Florida. I was listening to a podcast that a man had um, with with an authority, a world-renowned authority on AI artificial intelligence. And this man said, I'm not afraid of the machines. I'm afraid of the machines in the wrong hands. Hmm. But we're not putting on our armor. We're putting on God's armor. And even though these machines are now smarter than we are, they are not smarter than God. 
and God yet has control over them. Wherefore, take unto you, so notice we have a put on and take it. This is action, dear ones. This has to be action on our part as we go into this new year. The whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the evil day and to having done all to stand. Stand therefore. So now he finally gets to the point where we're gonna, that we're going to stand. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Think about that, dear ones. Truth. What is Truth. Truth, Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Well, truth, truth is a lot like peace. It's a person. Yes, it's a fact, it's knowledge, it's things that are true, but I think truth is also Christ. Christ is truth. The faith that was once delivered to the saints is truth. It's, it's a fact, it's something that exists that, is, that, that has substance, that, that can change lives. In, in, first John, in second John, verses one and two, and I love, the, I love the way John wrote this, he said, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I also, but all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. That's truth. The faith once delivered to the saints. The knowledge that we have that brought about salvation in our lives, that changed our life. And I love this, the breastplate of righteousness. So we start thinking about, well, what what, what might this be? What is this breastplate of righteousness? It's not our righteousness. It's Christ. Jesus Christ shed blood being applied to us makes us righteous. We don't do it of ourselves. It's a justification before God, that we are able to come into the presence of the Most High. Think about that fact. If we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. All part of this righteousness that we have to put on. Having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I think about, when I, when I looked at that word shod, the thing that came to mind were horseshoes. I remember when my sister and brother had horses. And I remember when the farrier would come, the blacksmith would come to shoe the horses. And these horses couldn't run. They could run on dirt. They could run on, you know, grass without horseshoes. But without the right kind of shoes, they couldn't, their, their, their hooves would get injured. And something interesting that I don't know if you know about horses, but the center of a horse's hoof is very sensitive and very tender. The, the, the callous part, whatever that is, that they make glue out of, I guess, that the, the hard part of the hoof is only the outside. That a horse that gets a stone inside the center of its hoof will go lame very quickly. But if their feet are shod with the right kind of shoe, they can, go, they can run on the pavement, they can run on concrete. It protects the hoof. So I have to ask myself, is my, are my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the good news of Jesus Christ? Is that what I'm taking with me as I go out to battle whatever the world has around me? And think about this, dear ones, if we're, if we're going out to battle the enemy, and, all of the, and, I, and I think from just a little bit of a conversation I had with Brother Uli, 
about the book that he and Brother Hans have read. What struck this one man in particular was people who were forgiving, people who weren't vindictive, people who didn't have to, who, who believed that the scripture that says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not our job to take revenge on anybody. It's not our job to stake our rights. It's our job to talk about Christ. And how quickly we can disarm the enemy when we can say to them, I love you because Christ died for you. And you may kill me. And if you kill me, I will be forever with the Lord. That's a pretty good place to be. Will my family be heartbroken? Yes. Will I be heartbroken if I leave them? Yes. But not if I'm the one leave. If they go, I'll be heartbroken. If I go, I won't even know that because I'll be in the presence of the Lord, because that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of peace is a gospel of redemption, of redeeming that which could not be redeemed, that had nothing redeemable in it. But even before we were, before I was, Christ said to his father, I will go and I will die, that he might live, that she might live. Having the shield of faith, Wow. And I love this verse in, in, in Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. My brothers and my sisters, are we, are we hearing the word enough? Are we reading the word enough? Am I reading the word enough? Last year, some of us in the family challenged each other to go through the Bible in a year. And I, and I did it on, with my audio book and and it was just it was so amazing to every day just be ready to hear the word i'm not memorizing it enough my chiropractor talks about the fact that he prays scripture during the day that's why he could he, he was quoting scripture too many goes you know i'm not this great theologian i just i just pray the scriptures throughout the day wow i need to do that and you know what faith grows when it's exercised only when it's exercised our faith doesn't grow if we hide it our faith doesn't grow if we try to protect it. If we try to say, oh, I'm not going to exercise my faith because I, I don't want to, it's not like a limited quantity that we could use up. It only grows if we use it, if we exercise it. The helmet of salvation. I thought on this one for quite a while. What does a helmet do? A helmet protects our head. It protects our thoughts, our brain. It protects our ability to function I was sharing with, with, I don't know if it was Tim or Jeremy yesterday that I, I saw this, this picture on social media of somebody's helmet that was like all broken up. And it ended up being, it was a football, a quarterback on a football team. And the, 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 the phrase just said, is, this did what it was supposed to. So if we think about our thought life, is our thought life grounded in the fact that we are in Christ Jesus? that we are saved, that we've been redeemed, we've been purchased at a very, very high cost. And you know, some would say, well, how do I know God's gonna protect me? Well, why in the world would he let his son die so that we could be saved and then not protect us? That's a ludicrous thought. We are priceless in the eyes of our Father because we were redeemed at a very, very High cost, the blood of his son. Put that, 
that knowledge on. Fight that battle with your mind. It's going to be something. And you know, when when Paul says, put on that helmet of salvation, that's telling me that, that daily I'm going to have to remind myself that I have this helmet of salvation to protect me. I need not fear. When the enemy, for Israel, the enemy was surrounding them on every side. The goal of the Arab nations was and is to push Israel into the sea. They will never do that. They will get very, very close, but they will never accomplish their goal. How do I know that? Because God is on their side. And every prophecy that's been laid out, that's been fulfilled, has been fulfilled to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. Why should this be any different? It's the same for us, dear ones. Lastly, the sword of the Spirit. Do we realize that we've been given the spirit of the living God within us to keep us from having to sin, to be a comfort to us, to remind us of, what's, of, of the promises in his word? Isaiah said, there will be a voice behind thee telling you to turn this way and turn that way. Jesus referred, said, I need to go so the Spirit can come. The Comforter will come to comfort you, to guide you, to lead you in the paths of righteousness, to give us direction, to give us purpose. But I think one of the things that I love so most most about the Spirit is, you know, yeah, he's going to give me direction. Yeah, he gives me purpose. But you know what else he does? He's my companion. He's there. The problem is I don't always focus on it because that's how Jesus never leaves us and forsakes us. It's with the Spirit. So it's up to me to make sure there's nothing in my life that keeps the Spirit at bay, but that I'm doing things in my life that invites the Spirit in to commune with me, to break bread with me, to work through my struggles with me, to work through my fears with me, to help me understand where my armor needs to be fitted a little better and what I might need to work on. And then as the master sculptor takes the chisel and the mallet and he chips something away, the spirit will say, he's just revealing more of himself in you. I'm not afraid of 2024. Will I be fearful throughout the year? Yep, I will. There were things that I committed to in my reflection time at the beginning of the year that I never realized how quickly God was going to challenge me on some of that. Okay, you said this is where I wanted you to grow, where you thought I wanted to grow. You're right. Now grow. And growth is painful. It's uncomfortable. But just remember, he's the master. We're just the block of stone. And he's revealing himself in us. May the Lord add his blessing to this word.